if I had heard Kenny Burchard has become Catholic, I I I might have thought something like I, I know I'm exposing myself as being a bad pro, having been a bad Protestant here or or a lame one, but I <laughs> I might have thought him you know wow Kenny Burchard he's a pretty smart guy. And, uh, you know, he reads a lot of books. You know, he, he's told me that he owns every single book ever written by N.T. Wright. He's a big <laughs> biblical theology guy. Uh, he knows how to toss around Greek words and Hebrew words and Latin words from time to time. He's become Catholic. I wonder why. Now, mm -hmm. So I, I, I have to admit, it might have been curiosity. I would have thought you were wrong. Sure. I would have thought there was a big mistake made on a, a lot of grounds, you know, uh, the issue of sure. authority, Mary, all these other things. But I think I would have been curious. Another detective watching episode of On the Journey with Matt and Ken and Kenny. I'm Matt, along with my colleagues, Ken Hensley, former Baptist pastor, Kenny Burchard, former Pentecostal, Foursquare pastor, and we are with the Coming Home Network. We work with people who have all kinds of questions and are perhaps exploring the Catholic Church. If that's you, then visit us at chnetwork.org. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, lots of free resources there, including previous episodes of On the Journey. We have an online community you can visit as well, which is community.chnetwork.org. We hang out in there and ask all kind of questions and answer them and fellowship with one another along the way. And of course, if you want to make this available to as many people as possible by uh, supporting us, you can go to chnetwork.org slash donate. We would very much appreciate your support. So, since we couldn't think of a more provocative title than this, uh, we're calling this episode Are Non-Catholics Christians? We'll start with you, Kenny Burchard, because if anybody has ever been involved in conversations like the ones we're about to have, uh, they probably usually don't hear this question ever phrased this way. Yeah, and we are being a little cheeky, you know, tongue-in-cheeky with it. Uh, by the way, great to see you guys both again, uh, Matt and Ken. And... You know, it's something that we talked about as a team, you know, on staff at the Coming Home Network over the last couple of weeks. We just finished our Mary series. And as we're gearing up for more content, we thought, <coughs> let's take this question that we hear often that we were asked and that um, kind of gets kicked around quite a bit. And that is, um, did you guys think you were Christians before you were Catholic? And, you know, the corollary to that is, do you think non-Catholics are Christians. Like I said, we are being a little tongue-in-cheek here, um, but the, the reason is that it often gets asked the other way around, doesn't it? So if we go on YouTube, we can type in, are Catholics Christians? And just find scores of videos with every kind of opinion you can imagine on that subject. So I think of this as kind of a Protestant reflex, okay? I'm, as I'm being a little introspective here, a Protestant reflex that comes from, well, I believe in Christianity, and my understanding of Christianity is the right one, and it's true, and, and everything that I believe about the Bible and God and Jesus and salvation and heaven and hell and the devil and everything else is 100% right, and Catholics don't believe 
things like I do. So how can they actually be Christians and other groups as well? This, it's, a, it's a constant question among non-Catholic Christians to, to talk and think like that. So in a sense, we're kind of responding to that reflex a little bit. We're asking, can uh, or do, do Catholics believe that non-Catholics can be Christians? So anyway, a little bit of a long introduction there, but that's kind of what, what we're doing today. Yeah. Yeah, and we've had, we've got personal is. stakes in the question, right? Because yes, we, we got do. family members who are like, well, "Okay, so you went and switched over to the Church of Rome. Well, what did you think was happening for the first, in my case, twenty four years of your life?" <laughs> you know, these are questions yes. that have like big stakes. Ken, anything you want to add to that before we move on? Well, I just want to correct one little thing that slipped out of Kenny's mouth that was false and damnable. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> You said at one point, you said the question of whether we thought we were Christians before we were Catholics. Well, obviously, we thought we were Christians. So the question really is, do we think now that right. we were Christians then? You, okay, so they, thank you, you for that. Correct, I just want to correct that. We, we can't right. have any heresy for, at, for perfect accuracy and no heresy Let the record, around, like so the record show, <laughs> our stenographer <laughs> is going to go nuts on this one. Uh, yeah. All right, <laughs> so... Yep. Let's okay. start with this question then in reverse, That's right? Cool. The one that you were just referring to, Kenny, um, uh, that idea, are Catholics really Christians? Because this is how it usually gets asked, right? Are Catholics mm -hmm. actually Christians? Um, if you were still Pastor Ken of the Foursquare Church, or Pastor mm -hmm. Kenny, I should say, of the Foursquare Church, right. Pastor Ken of the American Baptist. <laughs> Another damnable right? heresy. <laughs> Another. This is just a, a, a feast of bad bad stuff today. Um <laughs> How would you have answered that question if one of your people in your congregation came up and yeah. asked that uh, after church one day and said, my uncle's a Catholic, um, are they saved? Um, mm -hmm. Did you ever have to answer questions like that? Well, I, yeah, I'll start and say, yes, it was a regular conversation in in the churches where I was both a member and a pastor. I, I think it's part of North American evangelical Christianity to have this question rattling around. Because so many um, Protestant evangelicals are former Catholics. So I would have given what I now call the Ravi Zacharias answer. And <laughs> let me explain what I mean by that. If you're a, a Protestant evangelical who knows anything about apologetics, you know the name Ravi Zacharias, the late Ravi Zacharias, who was an apologist. And in a lecture with a Q&A that he gave at Texas A&M back in 2014, someone doing street evangelism asked him about this question because he said, we witness to Mormons, we witness to Jehovah's Witnesses, we witness to atheists and humanists on the street, but then we also run into Roman Catholics, Ravi. Um, should we be trying to get them saved? Are they really Christians are, are are Catholics Christians that we should be evangelizing. And Ravi's answer is really interesting. And it's the answer that I think is the prevailing dominant view among Protestant evangelicals. He basically said that a Catholic could be a Christian, but only if he or she is a bad Catholic. And what he meant by that was that the Catholic would need to be rejecting Catholic teaching while remaining in the Catholic Church and doing it kind of um, consciously. Like, I know that the Church teaches this, and I am consciously rejecting it. And 
um, believing the truth in contrast to the teaching of the Catholic Church. And this comes from kind of a righteous remnant mentality or a holy insurrection or a righteous treason um, um, view of being Catholic. In that sense, if a Catholic really accepts uh, one of these other versions of Christianity, he's going to stay inside the Catholic Church and spread it around. And um, so I would have said, sure, a Catholic could be a Christian if that's what they're doing, if they're staying in the Catholic Church but believing against Catholicism. Back to Ravi's answer, you you could be if you were being a bad Catholic. So that would have been my answer when mm. I was Pastor Kenny. Well, so, I, I think there's quite, quite a bit of contrast here between you and me. What was that, Matt? You want to throw something in? Yeah, I'll go ahead no. and throw it in. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll throw it in. So what's interesting, Kenny, about that is back in 2016, I had a brief uh, chance to ask Ravi Zacharias a question as part of a press conference at an ecumenical event. And um, it was talking about all the divisions in Christianity and me knowing that he also liked G.K. Chesterton. I said, do you think that part of the reason <laughs> there are all these divisions here is because Christianity has gotten into this either-or zone and we're all picking our own pieces of doctrines and emphasis and instead of seeing um, a great mystery and paradox in the things and teachings of Christ. And uh, perhaps if we took that paradoxical view, we might be on the same page with one another uh, a bit more. And oddly enough, the answer that Ravi gave, I wish I could remember all of it, but it sounded extremely Catholic, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. So even a guy like Ravi is fighting against his own sort of preconceptions and presuppositions when answering a question like that, because if you were to drill down on some of the specific aspects of what he meant by all that, then you would find that really he's speaking out of a a place of, I, I just, I'm not comfortable with the Catholic thing, okay? Let me just not be comfortable with it, <laughs> right? Right. And that's right. kind of where a lot of us were. But Ken, what were you saying about this in your world? Well, um, I was just, uh, what I'm going to say is that my thoughts, uh, can be contrasted pretty well with, with what Kenny just said, um, because intellectually, I would have said I was anti-Catholic. But as I look back, maybe it was more uh, in the abstract, I was anti-Catholic, meaning that I read the, the Protestant reformers in depth. I read the Puritans. I was very much into Puritan literature, and they were really anti-Catholic. If you read their stuff, it's not hard to see that. Um, on the other hand, uh, the reason I say it was almost an intellectual thing or something in the abstract is that I had met Catholics in the pro-life movement, and I knew them to be Christians. I could tell that they loved the Lord as much as I did, or maybe more than I did in many cases. Um, I went to a Benedictine monastery, had gone really for years for spiritual retreats. i had had conversations with the monks there who I knew in my way of knowing. I, I knew them to be Christians. They Again, they loved the Lord and were committed to Christ as much as I was, or more than I was. And so uh, so I knew that, they, that there were Catholics that were Christians. Now, of course, I assumed that there existed nominal Catholics, that is, you know, people that just kind of go along but don't really believe any of it. But I assumed the same of Protestantism. I knew there were nominal Protestants all over the place who kind of just maybe grew up going to church and just sort of did it and I'm okay, you're okay sort of way, and uh, you know, like, and um, didn't really believe in Christ or the gospel. Okay, so, so I come from a, from a very different place, but there's a reason for it too that is actually theological, 
And that's this. Most often, and I think that this is what you were hitting on, Kenny, most often Protestants who believe that Catholics are lost and are not Christians, it's mainly because they think that Catholicism teaches a false gospel, a gospel right. of works. Right. Or in the words of in the words of John MacArthur, the the uh, famous Protestant pastor, who describes the Catholic gospel as quote a damning system of works righteousness. Mm -hmm. This is a prevailing view that what Catholicism provides as a gospel is exactly what St. Paul anathematized and condemned in his letter to the Galatians, a gospel mm -hmm. of works. Well, if you believe this about Catholicism, then clearly, uh, clearly you're going to believe that Catholics um, are not really saved unless they are, as you said, unless they're rejecting what the church actually teaches. You know, right. the, the, the Catholic church teaches you to work your way to heaven and to earn salvation, the very thing that, that, that the Bible condemns. And therefore, you can't be saved if you really believe that. But let's just hope that there are many Catholics who don't really believe that, even though that's what the Catholic Church teaches. Okay, right. but for me, uh, and I'll just make this very quick, I, I went into this in great detail in the series that we did uh, a long while back on the doctrine of justification, which we, in fact, titled A Damning System of Works Righteousness. Um, but I'll just say this, back in the seminary, I came to a view of faith and works, faith and obedience, and how the two relate to one another, um, that kept me from assuming up front that anyone who talked about the requirement of obedience was ipso facto jumping into the camp of the, of the Judaizers, you know, and right. needed to be condemned. And, mm. and so I didn't assume that about Catholics. I didn't assume that they were Judaizers, as is so often the case. Yeah, and just a, a tiny bit of my own experience. Uh, I mentioned this in a Coming Home Network Presents uh, episode about my involvement in the Christian punk rock underground. So there's uh, obviously an anti-Catholic strain in there, but there's really an anti-religious authority in general strain in that world, right? Um, so there was, there was a part of my—I wasn't a studied and practiced anti-Catholic. I picked up pieces of it when I'd read Rapture books and stuff. But I hadn't had like some serious engagement with Catholicism because, mm -hmm. to be honest, I had like a— internal resistance to the idea of catholicism but it was partly an internal resistance <laughs> to something that as far as i was concerned didn't like actually even really exist um like i had an internal resistance to cobra commander too but it's not like i was ever going to run into him on the streets right mm -hmm. uh mm -hmm. there's there's this sense in which like catholicism is like this thing from like long ago or far away or it's up in new york city only believed by like a like a handful of italians it's not real in my world. So it was more of just like a this thing that was an other full of people mm -hmm. who had a whole bunch of like strange, you know, modifications in their Christianity and I just didn't get it. And so it was sort of like an armchair anti-Catholicism, nothing, anything more than that in my world, mm -hmm. um, you know, with, you know, meshes of Monty Python and Jack Chick in the back of the mind. But uh, knowing what you knew about yourselves back then I want to tackle the question from this angle. Let's say that a person comes up to you and says, I know this person. They were a dedicated and committed Christian, and now they have become a Catholic. Mm -hmm. Pastor Ken, do you think that person is still a Christian, or has he lost his salvation? Like, How would you respond to that? Let me spin it like this. What if I find out that Kenny Burchard has become Catholic, that Pastor Kenny Burchard had become Catholic? <laughs> How would I have responded? 
And, and I think that my answer just kind of flows easily from the comments that I that I just made. Um, after all, when I found out that Scott Hahn, who had been an old friend of mine from mm -hmm. seminary days, when I found out he'd become Catholic, my immediate response was ultimately one of curiosity. You know, I, I wanted to know why someone as smart as him could possibly become Catholic. Okay, so again, however much I, I might have imagined uh, during my years as a Protestant pastor— that I was with the Puritans and that I was a firm anti-Catholic and all that. Obviously, I really wasn't closed off to the possibility that Catholicism had something to say. And so if I had heard Kenny Burchard has become Catholic, I, I, I might have thought something like, I, I know I'm exposing myself as being a bad, pro, having been a bad Protestant here or, or a lame one, but I, <laughs> I might have thought him, you know, wow, Kenny Burchard, he's a pretty smart guy. And, uh, you know, he reads a lot of books. You know, he, he's told me that he owns every single book ever written by N.T. Wright. He's a big <laughs> biblical theology guy. Uh, he knows how to toss around Greek words and Hebrew words and Latin words from time to time. He's become Catholic. I wonder why. Now, mm -hmm. So I, I, I have to admit, it might have been curiosity. I would have thought you were wrong. Sure. I would have thought there was a big mistake made on a, a lot of grounds, you know, uh, the issue of sure. authority, Mary, all these other things. But I think I would have been curious. How about you, Kenny? You yeah. find out that I have become Catholic. Pastor Ken became Catholic. Yeah, I I think um, I would have had what I believe is the default perspective among most um, Protestant evangelicals. And, and we, you know, the crowds I was running with, Ken, weren't as nice as you were about the question. If I had found out that that Ken Hensley, my Baptist pastor friend, had gone and become a Catholic, like someone walked up to me and told me that, um, I would have probably said something about you that was said about me when I became a Catholic, mm -hmm. even by people who uh, I was their pastor for years. Uh, someone said, it's a cult, exclamation mark, you know, mm -hmm. on their Facebook page. I, and another person said, I, I wonder if he was ever really a Christian in the mm. first place. That, that wouldn't have been unusual for, for either me to say or the people that I was pastoring. Uh, we, we would have talked like that. Um, I, I would have believed, if someone really held me down, well, what do you think, Kenny? I would have said, Ken Hensley has walked away from a pure Christian faith because of some form of of spiritual deception deep at work inside mm. of his heart and mind. Um, and because in my experience, I never met a Protestant pastor who became Catholic. My church, the church I mm. was pastoring, Ken and Matt, was owed many of its members to the fact that they had left Catholicism to come to our church and the churches that I was pastoring. My mindset was you leave Catholicism and become Protestant. You don't leave Protestantism and become Catholic. If you do, something bad has happened. And um, so, you know, my experience was that. I believed that deception would have been at work in your life. You, I might have believed that you had a, a maybe a latent preference for religious legalism that you just couldn't mm -hmm. find in your Baptist tradition, and so you needed to get into a tradition that had one. Ah, Catholicism. Let me let me go join that. I need legalism. Or maybe I I would have 
been as cynical as to think that you're just addicted to aesthetics and things are prettier in Catholic churches, so you want mm-hmm. that, you know, and so you're just going to go where the aesthetics are, uh, or or you like ritualism. I, I would have attributed to some ad, mm-hmm. attributed it to something um, nefarious on on one hand, maybe benign on the other hand, but never anything good. I never would have said something good had happened. Mm-hmm. It can't be because Ken found the Catholic Church was giving him better answers than he had before. He must have had itching ears, you know, and found the Catholic Church was good at scratching them. So, I, I, you know, let me, let me say it this way. I would have, attributed, would have attributed your conversion to Catholicism on one hand to Satan, and on another hand to sinfulness, mm-hmm. and those two converging in your life in some way. That's, that's just me being honest. All right, so well, it, hurts, it, it hurts to hear you say that, Kenny. It really does. <laughs> well, luckily we're going to not end this episode there. Uh, <laughs> but that'd be a bad place to end things. Um, yeah. But, so I was thinking about this as you know, I was reading through the notes for today's discussion, and I never knew anybody in my Bible college world who, at least while I was in Bible college, became Catholic. But I knew several people who became Orthodox, right, from mm-hmm. evangelical backgrounds, and I know in my mind. My assumption was they did it for aesthetic reasons because they thought praise and worship yeah. culture was lame and they weren't into DC talk, right? That felt that like in some ways they were like, they didn't like the evangelical aesthetic. They preferred the orthodox aesthetic. That's also because I had zero understanding of orthodoxy at the time as well, right? The sacramental worldview and, you know. Yeah. Now I understand that it's a lot easier to become Orthodox in the evangelical world than it is to become Catholic. Cause you know, your mom might freak out over you becoming Catholic, but she doesn't know what the word Theotokos means. So it doesn't really freak her out as much if you become Orthodox. So there is that. But I also remember too, um, that when I became Catholic, I had a friend who was from that same evangelical world. I went from evangelical to Catholic to Catholic. And this person was going from evangelical to sort of more of an agnostic, like I just don't know anymore type of situation. And they're kind of, shrugged off comment to me was like well i guess people need you know somebody to tell them what to do uh, people need structure and rules and stuff and mm. you know i'm like that's not you why know. i did it right and right. if you read there are actually some uh well there are quite a few youtube channels and blogs out there that will say this is a problem that we got all these evangelicals converting to catholicism here's why they're doing it and the things that they say are you know these people like the catholic aesthetic right they're either deceived or they um, they're stuck. They 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 have a hunger for some kind of a ritualism. They need structure. They need all these things. Uh, that's not why I became Catholic. If I was becoming Catholic for the aesthetic, let me explain to you what the first few masses I went to were like. Man, <laughs> they were not um, aesthetically at the pinnacle of like liturgical excellence. But mm-hmm. now we're on the other side of this discussion, right? We're all Catholics mm-hmm. now. Um, so. When you are looking back on this whole question, um, your own experience as Christians, right? Because I was a Christian for 24 years, and, you know, I think, Kenny, you were a Christian for a long, long time before yeah. the Catholic question ever popped up, right? Ken Hensley, yep. a little bit, you know, yeah, 30s, 40s, 40s right? Uh, so did you have a sense that you were really Christian in that moment? Do you look back now and th- think to yourself, I was really a Christian? 
Actually, I'm still in my 40s. I'm only 41. (laughs) You know, it's like um, your fourth time through your 40s, man. (laughs) You know what? I want to uh, I want to preface my my comments by saying that some of what you say, Kenny, and some of what you said, Matt, is true. I think the aesthetic is more beautiful Um, and I can see that there are there are a lot of evangelicals and me included you know, they go to like, let's say a mega church. You, you get tired of the rock concert on Sunday night and you get tired of the pastor with his skinny jeans standing up there, you know, with like two rocks and a palm tree behind him, you know, and no, no, no Christian symbolism of any kind, no stained glass windows, no crucifix, no cross or anything like that. And you wander into a, a beautiful Catholic church or an Orthodox church and you go, wow, this stuff is striking to me. This is a powerful aesthetic. And so there is truth in that. Okay, here's here's what I would say though, in answer to your questions, whatever they were, Matt. <laughs> the the answer is that uh, yes, I was truly a Christian before I was Catholic. Okay, now my experience as a Catholic now is more is simply what I would say. I think I have more. I think the theology is richer. I think the aesthetic is better. And uh, yeah, and, and Kenny, no, it's not that I. It's not that I love legalism, but I believe the Bible strongly stresses the need to take up your cross and follow. Faith and the obedience that flows from faith are, 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 are pronounced throughout the Bible. And so, yeah, that's part of it too. But anyway, my answer is yes. Before I was Catholic, I firmly believed that I was truly a Christian. That never enters my mind to doubt that. Now, I, I do run into Catholics, though, who, who, who do not believe that a Protestant can be saved or can be a Christian, a real Christian. And my, my response to them, which I want to get into now, my response to them is to point out that this flatly contradicts the express teaching of the church. And this is important. Um, I want to read a couple of paragraphs from the Catechism of the Catholic Church to you, paragraphs that have meant a great deal to me and paragraphs that I probably read to Protestants that I'm dealing with uh, at the Coming Home Network more often than any other paragraphs, um, because Protestants come and they ask that question, well, you know, do Catholics think that we are Christians? Because it is so common among, especially evangelical Protestants, to believe that Catholics are not Christians, and they kind of assume that the reverse would be true. But listen to this. This is from paragraphs 817 through 819 of the Catechism. First of all, in this one and only Church of God, from its beginnings there arose certain rifts, which the apostle strongly censures as damnable. But in subsequent centuries, much more serious dissensions appeared. Large communities became separated from full communion with the Catholic Church, for which, often enough, men on both sides were to blame. Okay, the focus here is on the the major split that occurred at the time of the Reformation is what the focus is mainly on here, although it's including the the East-West split of the 11th century as well. But now listen to this. However... Now, this is the teaching of the church. However, one cannot charge with the sin of the separation those who at present are born into these communities, that is, the communities that resulted from the separation, and in them are brought up in the faith of Christ, and the Catholic Church accepts them with respect and affection as brothers. Okay, first of all, if I'm supposed to believe as a Catholic that Protestants are not Christians, then how can I possibly accept them with respect and affection as brothers. 
So the Catholic Church is saying here, expressly stating here, that I am to think of those who are born and raised in the communities that split off from the church. And I'm thinking mainly of the time of the Reformation, but as I said, other places as well. I'm supposed to view them with respect and affection as brothers. But it goes beyond that. Listen to this paragraph, 819. Furthermore, many elements of sanctification and of truth are found outside the visible confines of the Catholic Church. The written word of God, the life of grace, faith, hope, and charity, with the other interior gifts of the Holy Spirit, as well as visible elements. Christ's Spirit uses these churches and ecclesial communities as means of salvation, whose power derives from the fullness of grace and truth that Christ has entrusted to the Catholic Church. All these blessings come from Christ and lead to him, and in themselves are calls to Catholic unity. I just want to read that one sentence again. Christ's Spirit uses these churches and ecclesial communities as means of salvation. So the official teaching of the church is that there is much truth in Baptist churches, Presbyterian, Nazarene, Lutheran, whatever. There's love for the Word of God. There's love for Christ. There's faith, hope, and charity. There are outward elements, the baptism and the celebration of the Lord's Supper in the way that it's understood. And the Holy Spirit uses these communities as means of salvation. And so I just want to make it clear, as a Catholic, I cannot believe that all Protestants are somehow not Christians. I am taught explicitly to believe that they are and to assume that the Spirit of God is working in their lives. And that's my position on it. Yeah, yeah there's a lot to be uh, drawn out from that. But there are other uh, passages that really, I mean, very often the first like 50 comments on any one of these videos are sort of people who haven't watched them saying that we're not really Christians, right? Um, and what I want to sometimes say back to them is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Uh, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Hmm. And to say to them, I believe that about you. Mm -hmm. Do you believe yeah. that about me? Because <laughs> that's what yeah. Paul says, right? Um, that if we both say Jesus is Lord, um, then it's something more complex than you not being a Christian or I not being a Christian. It has more to do with our communion and what kind of status our Christianity is, whether we are in full mm -hmm. communion with the body of Christ or not in full communion with the body of Christ, because that's the real question. But um, Kenny, you had some stuff to, to add. Yeah, I, I think this is a really important question, guys. And and, and actually, it was a question that I asked uh, my pastor, uh, Father Rob, who's my, my pastor now. I, I asked him, Father, do you think I was a Christian for all those years? And he just laughed and said, what? Of, of course I do. You were... Now, you were baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, weren't you? Yes. Well, yeah, where does that question come from? And it's because it doesn't really generally enter into the Catholic mind to, to, to brush the question aside. And in fact, and I want to show this, it's probably hard to see, but this is a certificate that I received on the day that I was brought into full communion with the Catholic Church. And in the middle of the certificate, it says... Uh, Kenneth Paul Burchard, uh, born on June 4th, 1969, was baptized. Now listen to this. On my Catholic uh, certificate in which my communion with the church is, is uh, verified and accepted, it says Kenneth Burchard baptized at 
West Valley City Vineyard Christian Church, Salt Lake City, Utah. In other words, an ecclesial community that isn't Catholic, but that baptized me the way that a person ought to be baptized and brought me into some initial understandings of Christianity is recognized in in my own bringing into the Catholic faith as being a means by which Jesus was working in my life before. Um, and and so, so that'd be the first thing that, that I would say. Uh, I wanted to know if the Catholic Church thought I was a, a Christian before too. And of course, the answer is yes. Shortly after I made it public that I had become Catholic, I received a desperate phone call from a man who he and his family and many of their relatives were members of our church for several years. He lives in California. I live here in Virginia. My phone rang. He called me, Pastor Kenny, I have a question for you. I've heard you've become Catholic. Yes, what is it? Did you think that you were a Christian before you became Catholic? And and I laughed too. And I said, well, well, yeah, why do you ask? And he said, well, why would you then go and become Catholic if you were already a Christian? And the answer to that goes back to what Ken shared, and, and it's the word more, more. Um, I can illustrate how that has fleshed out in my life. Recently, I was at a Barnes and Noble uh, a bookstore in the in the cookbooks section, interestingly, and a a street evangelist, a Baptist street evangelist. You'll be happy to hear, Ken, came up to me and began engaging me in a conversation and the initial sort of warm up to sharing faith with me, and I was just kind of listening. And he asked me, well, what do you do? What do you do for work? And I said, just to see what, you know, what kind of response oh. he would get, he, I said, I am a missionary to non-Catholics. <laughs> and he was like, what? Well, one of my Foursquare pastor friends asked me, why would I say it like that if I believed the Catholics, uh, if I believed that non-Catholics were already Christians? And what I mean by that has to do with our mission, for instance, as an apostolate. Um, bringing people into the fullness of the Christian faith. And this is illustrated in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, chapter 18, we meet this guy, Apollos, who be, he's an evangelist. He's a preacher. He's preaching Jesus all over the place. Mm-hmm. And Aquila and Priscilla take him aside, it says, hearing how he was preaching, how he was talking about his faith, his baptism, salvation, etc. They take him aside in a sense, they're being missionaries of, of uh, catechesis and discipleship to him. And they explain, the scripture says, Acts chapter 18, 26, they explain to him the way of God more fully. So the big idea here is that a person can be following the way of God, preaching to others, grace-filled, in ministry, having an impact on people, faithful to everything that they know and understand about the Lord, and still not have a grasp on what Luke says in Acts 18 is the way of God more accurately or more fully. Now this phrase, guys, uh, the way of God more accurately, uh, this little Greek word in there is akribas, akribas, and here's what it means. It means that Apollos really had something. It was real, but it wasn't complete. It was real, but it wasn't fully accurate. It was real, but it was not precisely formed. 
It wasn't formed as it should have been. It needed to be more carefully and more rigorously complete uh, to the degree that was possible. So Aquila and Priscilla are helping him with that piece of his real Christian faith. So their mission to Apollos, the evangelist, who really did have a calling, really was following everything, was to bring him into the fullness of the faith. And that's what we mean. That, that's why we can answer, yes, I, I was a, a, a Christian before, but now becoming Catholic, I'm coming into the fullness or all that is available to God's people through mm-hmm. the church. And this is, I think, a, a handy moment to explain something about how language is this limited and flawed thing, right? Mm-hmm. Because we often shorthand, I try not to, but I can't help it, and it's just so much easier than the alternative. But none of the three of us are Catholic converts, right? Not in the technical sense, right? Because we were baptized Christians before, and so the church doesn't see us as converts from another religion, right? The way that it's technically understood is that we are baptized Christians from another ecclesial communion who came into full communion There you go. The church. I love that. But try saying that every time someone asks you (laughs) what kind of faith you hold. Like, that's, you know, try fitting that in the lower third of a graphic on an episode of The Journey Home, right? You can't do that. So we we use this, we toss this word convert around. But in fact, that only applies to somebody who came from a different religion or who was unbaptized uh, in their form of Christianity. But it also kind of is a highlight, uh, a unique way, I think, to highlight this sort of strange place that we stand in as the Coming Home Network, uh, because we have we have kind of like feet in both worlds a little bit. Mm-hmm. So we all know that the Holy Spirit was alive and active in the places we came from. We felt his presence, right? We, right, right. we did things that we would have never done for the Lord had mm-hmm. not the Holy Spirit been truly working in our lives. You, know, you can't tell me that all those times I wept into a, you know, box of hankies at a youth group retreat that I wasn't really trying to rededicate my <laughs> life to the Lord. Come on, man. Uh, you know, so you didn't so pull the hankies the, out. You just, you wept into the box. You didn't pull the hanky out first. Well, I mean, I went through a box. I think curious. is what I meant to say. I should have just used my flannel okay. shirt. Uh, but there's no question in our life that we were Christians before, right? The Holy Spirit is alive and active in those, in those worlds. We've experienced it. But we also have experienced the other side of this, having come into the church. And so there's no question in our minds that we needed to come home to the fullness of faith and into full communion with the Holy Catholic Church. So there are people in the world who are like, this is fine out here where the Holy Spirit is moving outside the Catholic Church. There's no need to do anything about it. And there are people who say anybody who's not in full communion in the Catholic Church has absolutely zero experience of the Holy Spirit. And we're like, no, both of those views are wrong right? Because we have an experience of both sides of this question. And you know what the Mm -hmm. church teaches, as you were just uh, describing, Kenny, that the Holy Spirit really is active. And Ken, you even read from the catechism uh, how clearly the church states that. So then this brings up the next question, which is, if the Holy Spirit is present in his, his fullness in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, right, under the see of Peter, right, under the successor of St. Peter, then what is the Holy Spirit doing out there getting people to pick up their Gideon's Bible in a hotel and then start attending, like, Harvest Community Fellowship? <laughs> right. Like, what is going on with that? Like, what's the Holy Spirit think? Why didn't you just send, this, send them directly to the Catholic yeah. church? 
Yeah, I've been asked this question a lot, Matt, and I actually get it on uh, social media quite a bit, on YouTube quite a bit. People saying, well, if it was the Holy Spirit who led you into the Catholic Church, then why didn't he start there? Like, what was it the Holy Spirit that led you, you know, to that street evangelist back in 1986 mm -hmm. too? So my answer is to say yes to all of it. It was all God. It's kind of like saying, um, if I can use an illustration here, it's kind of like saying, how could you have had a real drink of spring water, you know, from a bottle in the shelf at the store when the, the spring is, you know, up in the mountains somewhere? Well, this, it's a derivative is, is what I would say. And, th and this is um, using the language of the catechism that uh, you just read, Ken. There's this little three-word uh, phrase in there. It says there, power derives from. Power derives from. In other words, uh, water, you know, from a fountainhead goes downstream and finds its way into all kinds of places. And you can... Uh, saddle over and take a sip, you know, and um, and you'll get real water from that spring. And so the, the, mm -hmm. the truth that I received from Jesus, from the Holy Spirit that comes out of the Catholic Church in history, found its way to me through other sources, other container, other containers and other vessels. So, um, but but converting to or coming into full communion with the Catholic Church is a way of saying, but now I'm going to the fountain head. Now I'm going to the mm -hmm. source of all of this beauty and goodness mm -hmm. that I had before. And let me ask you this, Kenny. When you were a four-square pastor in that tradition, were you taught that Amy Simple McPherson got this powerful wind of the Holy Spirit, decided to found a new denomination, and decided to create a set of texts for it? Or did she use an existing text the list of books therein, uh, you know, which had been compiled right. by the One Holy and Catholic Apostolic Church, and she just was benefiting and sharing the blessing from something that did not originate yeah. with her, but originated from within the heart of the church. Yeah, that's why I really do like that language of the power derives from the church. Um, it, it is good, and it's right, and we may not even see the source. We may not even see the the fountain head, but that power, that mm -hmm. goodness, that truth, that living water does derive from the original source. You're right. You're right, Matt. Yeah, Hensley, what you got? I got this. Um, we're talking about the providence of God. You know, we're asking the question, well, why didn't the, whole, why didn't the Holy Spirit just lead you straight into the Catholic Church? Why these other avenues? And the first thing that comes to my mind is that God's way is to meet people where they are and to yes. lead them in a in a progressive way. I think yeah. of how God progressively led the Israelites to in the Old Testament to a, a a fuller and fuller conception of who He was, to where one of my favorite verses in all the Bible is the beginning of the letter to the Hebrews, where it says something I'm paraphrasing along the lines of God, at in former times spoke to our forefathers by the prophets has spoken to us in these last days, has spoken to us by his son. And then I love this phrase, who is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. There, there's a progressive revelation of God that culminates in Jesus, who could say, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. You know, the revelation yeah. is, is filled up and brought forward in its most explicit, beautiful, radiant, fashion. And so 
the point I guess that I use in answering that would be simply that God meets us where we are. I think about my own story. When I came to faith in Christ at the age of 22, I was laying in my bedroom on my bed reading the Bible. I was by myself when it when when my eyes were finally opened and I and and I just said, "You know what? This is true. This is mm-hmm. all true." Okay, I was attending a small Bible study that I'd been invited to by some friends. Everyone at that Bible study went to the same little Bible church down the road. So I went with them to the Bible church, and that's where I began to learn scripture about God, about Christianity. And so I asked the question like this, what was God supposed to do if you can't allow that, that, that the Lord meets us where we are and leads us from where we are? What was God supposed to do? Was God supposed to commandeer the wheel of my car when I got in to try to drive to church on Sunday morning and just like forcibly steer me into the parking lot of the nearest Catholic church? Or when I picked up books by John Calvin and Luther and John Owens and Jonathan Edwards and all the rest, was the Holy Spirit supposed to grab those books and just throw them into the flames somehow, you know, right. um, and, and just force me to pick up the catechism instead? It, it doesn't work that way. You know, God, as, as many have said, re- respects our freedom as human beings and, and, and leads us along. And so I, yeah. I guess that's my answer. It would be great if the Holy Spirit just led everyone straight to the fullness of the truth, but that's not how it works. God meets us where we are, and yeah. I can only thank God that I've been led through radical dispensationalism into a, a Bapt, into a Calvinist worldview and then a Baptist form of the Calvinist worldview and then into the Catholic Church. Um, I can only thank God for that, but that's my answer. Yeah, and I, and I would just add one final thought, Matt and Ken, and that is that what Ken has just described in a, a sort of a, a micro sense of his own life is the meta sense in which we see God doing that in history and in scripture. So if someone said, well, why didn't, you know, the Holy Spirit just make you Catholic first? It's kind of like, well, when Adam and Eve sinned, why why isn't the next scene in the Bible Calvary? You know, why why all this uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you know, yeah. d- Moses, Noah, David, yeah. what's all, what's with all this story that's being told to get us to this moment, you know, of crescendo and the way that the Lord works in history is the way that he works in our lives. It's often through a process of the Holy Spirit leading us here and there until we get to where he wants us to be. Well, and this kind of goes to another piece of what the Coming Home Network is, right? We've got well over a thousand stories of how people became Catholic on our site. Shouldn't one be good enough? (laughs) You know what I mean? Right. And the fact of the matter is, is that every single one of those people had a different kind of trajectory, a different world they were born into, a different... Mm -hmm. Um, you know, school they grew up at, a different situation of, uh, you know, where their parents were in their relationship, right? A different situation in their own marriages Mm -hmm. uh, very often, you know, all kinds of different pieces play into this. And I think that sometimes our desire that drives this question is also the same desire that that would cause us to say, well, what book can I give to someone that that will convince them? When in fact, it's not usually how it works, right? It's through this series of pedagogical things in our life. I mean, this is how the catechism describes it, like a divine pedagogy, like God speaks sort of progressively into a situation and the picture begins to to form, right? And that's how it happened for all of us, right? And that's how it happens for all the people that we work with. There's, it's very rare that someone was like, yeah, this weekend as I was at this thing and somebody said something really convincing and I'm uh, ready to join the church. Like, it, that's not how our work usually manifests. But uh, we still have a couple questions laying out on the table. So let's get at them. 
Uh, so uh, one of them would be the very big question. This is why we saved it for the end, which is, okay, so people outside the Catholic Church are Christians, then what in the world are we supposed to do with this comment about how there's no salvation outside the Catholic Church? Mm. That's the first one. And the second one is like, you know, what about these things that like anybody who doesn't do this, this, or this, or this is anathema, Mm -hmm. right? A a Mm -hmm. lot of references to the Council of Trent. So what are we supposed to do with that in light of everything we've just said? Well, um, if I can, let, let me take the second part of the question first so that, and, and then let Kenny finish up with the, the um, no salvation outside the church. So let me mm-hmm. talk about the anathema language that we find in some of the conciliar writings. Um, Protestants very often assume and very often insist, even after having uh, what I'm going to share here explained to them in detail, very often insist that the anathema means that the person anathematized by the Catholic Church has been consigned to hell and is doomed forever, okay? Right. You know, if anyone says X, Y, or Z, let him be anathema, that in that statement, the Catholic Church is consigning this person to hell. Okay, in answer to this, though, there are a lot of details, historical details involved, which I don't want to rattle on and on and on. So let me instead read a, a short section from a very good article, short article that Jimmy Aiken wrote on this some years back, Catholic apologist Jimmy Aiken. Listen to this. Originally, the church did not differentiate between excommunication and anathema, which is why ecumenical councils have traditionally constructed their dogmatic canons using the formula if anyone says, dot, 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 let him be anathema, meaning that anyone teaching the condemned proposition is to be anathematized or cut off from Christian society. Among ecumenical councils, this usage began with the first, that is the Council of Nicaea, the First Council of Nicaea in 325 AD, which applied the formula to those denying the, the divinity of Christ. Since then, the formula has been used by all ecumenical councils that have issued dogmatic canons. Now, since the Vatican II, since Vatican II did not issue any dogmatic canons, it never used the term anathema. Over time, a distinction came to be made between excommunication and anathema. Remember you said early on they were treated more or less interchangeably, but a distinction came to be made. The precise nature of the distinction varied, but eventually became fixed. By the time of Gregory IX in the 14th century, the term anathema was used to describe a major excommunication that was performed with a solemn pontifical ceremony. Customarily, this involved the ringing of a bell, the closing of a book, the snuffing out of candles, collectively signifying that the highest ecclesiastical court had spoken and would not reconsider the matter until the individual gave evidence of repentance. Such solemnities have been rare in church history they remained on the books, however, as late as 1917, the 1917 Code of Canon Law, which provided that, and I'm quoting the Canon Law now, 1917, excommunication is called anathema, especially when it is imposed with the solemnities that are described in the Roman pontificate, pontifical. Okay, so excommunication and anathema are interchangeable, but anathema is a stronger version. Excommunication is called anathema especially when it is imposed with the solemnities that are described in the Roman pontifical. One more short paragraph. Yet the penalty was used so seldom that it was removed from the 1983 Code of Canon Law. This means that today the penalty of anathema 
does not exist in Catholic law or in church law, in canon law. Okay, let me just sum up, you guys. In other words, when the Council of Trent, as an example, when it said, if anyone says that justification is by faith alone, the statement of the Reformers, let him be anathema. It is a pronouncement of solemn excommunication. The person is being separated from communion with the Catholic Church. It's not a pronouncement that the one saying that justification is by faith alone is on his way to, or is going to hell, or is in hell, or is, or is doomed for all eternity. It is not a statement of that. It means that the person needs to repent in order to be admitted back into communion with the Catholic Church. Hmm. That's mm-hmm. what it means. That's really good, again, and, and really helpful. Um, and, and, you know, the, the first part of the question that you asked there, Matt, was what about this language of outside the Catholic Church, there is no salvation? Uh, well, I, I have three things I want to say here, and let me let me start with the first one being a bit of irony. Isn't it ironic here that that pre-Catholic Pastor Kenny was concerned that Catholics might be saying uh, that he's not a Christian if he's not a Catholic? Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's the irony, as we've already said. It's simply not the case that that, that that's what the Catholic Church teaches, but ironically. It is the majority viewpoint in the other direction. Mm-hmm. One of my former preaching heroes, you mentioned him, uh, Ken, John MacArthur, is an avowed and tireless anti-Catholic, and he uh, he's also anti-every other idea that's not his as well. But he recently said in a Q&A on Catholics or, or Protestants becoming Catholic, especially pastors, and leaders becoming Catholic. He has said, ironically, that these folks have rejected the faith for a different gospel and are believing heresy. Um, He Mm -hmm. says Catholicism is not one and the same as what he calls true Christianity. He says they don't have doctrinal clarity, these guys that become Catholics. He says, (laughs) these are his words, they are cowards who lack the courage to f- confront error, and so they swallow it. And finally, he says they have this misguided value uh, and are being pressured toward unity. Those, ironically, <laughs> are the majority viewpoints among many Protestant evangelical uh, groups regarding Catholics. So I could say it this way. The claim is going the other way, too. There is no salvation inside the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. if, if you mm-hmm. want to put it, you know, as a maxim, um, and so, so I, I just want to, I just want to point that out that, that there's a little irony there. But, but I also want to, um, I want to say a couple of positive things here. One is I'm going to use an illustration that we heard at our recent retreat. Ken, uh, you and I were there, and one of the pastors from Brazil mm-hmm. was there, and this question came up: um, what, what does no salvation outside the Catholic Church mean? And he said, uh, I want to tell you a story that was told to me by a Catholic priest who answered this question for me. He said, if I have a peach tree in my backyard and my branches begin to grow over your fence, and one day you see my peaches and you pluck one of my peaches from my peach tree 
take out the seed and plant a peach tree seed in your backyard and then begin to grow a tree from that seed. And then you say to me one day, while we're both picking peaches, I have peaches and you have peaches. We both have peaches. We don't need each other. Um, uh, and you try to separate our peaches as though they have no common origin. Um, I would say to you, well, outside my peach tree, there is no peach tree in your backyard. Or let's say it this way, without my peach tree, you don't have any peaches growing in your backyard. And that is a more nuanced way of saying that without the Catholic Church or outside the Catholic Church, there's no salvation. This goes back to the language that you read earlier again, Ken, where it says, their power derives from. That's really the heart of that statement, that, that the grace of God that's coming to people outside the visible structures of the Catholic Church derive from the Catholic Church. They're not coming down from heaven without the Church. They're coming through the Church in history to all people. I'm going to end, though, with a more of a personal quote, something that I grabbed onto early in my journey into the Catholic Church from an author named Paul Whitcomb. Uh, he wrote a book called Confessions of a Roman Catholic. And for anybody who's watching this, this is my final thought here in this video. I will just I just want to look in the camera. If you say, Kenny Burchard, what do you really think of non-Catholic um, people and, and whether or not they're Christians? I would I would read this to you. And I'm quoting Paul Whitcomb, but I'm speaking it from my heart, okay? Quote My association with Protestantism did me a great deal of good. It was as a Protestant that I learned of the reality and power and munificent goodness of God. It was as a Protestant that I learned of Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, come into the world to atone for the sins of man and lead man into the way of eternal salvation. It was as a Protestant that I learned to acknowledge and revere the Bible as the holy word of God. And it was as a Protestant that I came to know many wonderful God-fearing people, People who, with sincerity and genuine Christian charity, were a great source of inspiration to me. It would be deceitful and most ungrateful for me to deny that I benefited from my long association with Protestantism. In all Christian truthfulness, I must admit that those were good days, and so I still feel a very pleasant nostalgia whenever they are recalled in memory. However, be that as it may, I had to make a change. In conscience, I had to become Catholic. Close quote. Well, yeah. you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close by reading something too. But Matt, do you have any comment you want to make on this? Before well, I mean, I do that? I, just, to, just to affirm that in a whole bunch of different ways, there's, there's just one quick thing that I would mention about uh, you know, that no salvation outside the church thing is, is also important to understand that um, in previous eras when the church had dealt with people who were contesting the faith, it was Arius and Pelagius and Nestorius, right? A contained person with a contained argument that the church could like wrestle with and go through their 10 D's that you described when like defining a dogma. Mm -hmm. uh, in the era of the Reformation, there's a new version and spinoff popping up like every five minutes. There is no internet. There's no Twitter to track this. And so the church is just like, 
everybody just stop. Nobody leave. It's bad out there. <laughs> just stay in the church, right? Right. And now uh, there's, with the benefit of hindsight, the church looks around and says, okay, these are not people who are denying the divinity of Jesus, right? These are not people who are denying the Trinity. These are not people who are denying all these other things. These are baptized Christians. We have to think about them in a different way now that we've got the information that we didn't have in the era of the Reformation. Uh, so that's that's a piece of it. That's There's a lot more to it, as, as you've indicated. But just to affirm what you said um, in regard to that idea of benefiting for our associations, our long associations with Protestantism, I tell my Wesleyan friends all the time with whom I am in deep contact, I tell them, you know, sometimes people refer to me as a former Wesleyan. I'm still kind of a current Wesleyan, right? I'm a Catholic. 100% fully committed, but I speak my Catholicism with a strong Wesleyan accent, <laughs> right? <laughs> and that's, this is, uh, uh, you know, Deacon Alex wow. Jones, right, who came into the church, uh, you know, was a Pentecostal pastor and came in with, like, a big chunk of his congregation, said that all the time, right? He has, still has his accent from where he came from, and wow. that's, uh, obviously, I'm part of the One True Church, and I'm glad for it, but I'm only part of the One True Church because I came through this pedagogical path and of course, I'm grateful for the path. So. Yeah, that's me, well, Hensley. Matt, you got more. Actually, Matt, John Wesley went to Oxford, and you don't have an Oxford accent at all. But no, but thankfully, I, I understand no. what you meant. I I, whenever I try meant. one, it's bad. Yeah. <coughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, I'm going to close this by by reading again. We've done a lot of reading today, but this is so good and important. This is um, paragraph 15 from the Vatican II do document, Lumen Gentium, which is the dogmatic constitution on the church. And, and here's our final word today on this subject. The church knows that she is joined in many ways to the baptized who are honored by the name of Christian, but who do not, however, profess the Catholic faith in its entirety or have not preserved unity or communion under the successor of Peter. For there are many who hold sacred scripture in honor as a rule of faith and of life, who have a sincere religious zeal, who lovingly believe in God the Father Almighty and in Christ the Son of God and the Savior, who are sealed by baptism which unites them to, the, to Christ, and who indeed recognize and receive other sacraments in their own churches or ecclesiastical communities. Many of them possess the Episcopate, celebrate the Holy Eucharist, and cultivate devotion to the Virgin Mother of God. There is furthermore a sharing in prayer and spiritual benefits. These Christians are indeed in some real way joined to us in the Holy Spirit, for by his gifts and graces, his sanctifying power is also active in them, and he has strengthened some of them even to the shedding of their blood. And so the Spirit stirs up desires and actions in all of Christ's disciples. <clears throat> in order that all may be peacefully united as Christ ordained in one flock under one shepherd. Mother Church never ceases to pray, hope, and work that this may be achieved. And she exhorts her children to purification and renewal so that the sign of Christ may shine more brightly over the face of the church. Amen. Amen. So I, I'm not holding the mic, so I can't drop it. Should I knock my mic off the table? I don't know. That's a great place to end it, though, with just the words of what the church actually teaches about about this question. Um, 
that's I hope hopefully it's helpful to, to some of you who've been wrestling with this question, either as Catholics trying to understand your Protestant brothers or sisters, Protestants are trying to understand Catholics, people who have converted to Catholicism or simply come into full communion <laughs> with the Holy Catholic Church. Uh, this is a it's a touchy conversation. It's a it's a delicate one, and, and hopefully it's been a help to you. If you want to continue it, please do check us out chnetwork.org, our main site for all of our resources, um, including previous episodes of On the Journey. If you want to connect with our online community, uh, community.chnetwork.org is where you can do that and uh, converse with other people who are at various stages of inquiry in regard to the Catholic Church. Some of them who have uh, come into full communion and are looking for uh, ways to process what's what's happened in their life. Uh, you can also go to make these and other programs possible and resources possible from the Coming Home Network. Uh, simply go to chnetwork.org slash donate. We would greatly appreciate it. Ken Hensley, Kenny Burchard, thank you so much. Really great to see you guys again. Same here. All right. I'm Matt Swain. Thanks for checking us out on On the Journey. We'll be back again next time around. Thank you.